Hi guys, welcome to the Earth is Lights podcast with myself and Jim O'Connell. How are we? This is the first podcast and it's about the mother and father, which basically we will be talking about Jim's late mother and my fairly newly divorced parents, I guess. But before we start any of that, we're going to start with the segment, What's the Crack? Jim, if you want to explain what's the crack to some of the uh, non-Irish natives. Crack is a word used commonly in Ireland to to refer to news, gossip, um, fun. Like, it can sometimes be related to banter, often banter, yeah. But uh, we would always say, like, what's the crack? Like, what's up? What's the news? How's it going? That kind of, and yeah, that's the general, <laughs> the general summary. Right, which is important because blokes, we don't really ask each other how we're doing, as in we don't expect an answer. It's more of a just a, a hello than anything else. That's why we're going to start off with what's the crack. So I'll, I'll start off then, Jim. What is the crack with you? How's it all going? Crack is good, man. Just settling back into the farm that I'm volunteering at over in Denmark and after a lovely three weeks with family and friends really got to spend a lot of time with my dad and sister which was great yeah it was much needed and got to see the majority of my friends I wanted to see and the majority of them were in good spirits and yeah it was all around good trip and looking forward to getting the year off I guess what about yourself? Nice. And any any New Year resolutions, or we're not going down that road? I'm not really a resolution guy, but I read a book over Christmas called Born to Run. And maybe we can talk about it at a later stage, um, which focuses on uh, a tribe in Mexico that run all the time, like huge, lengthy distances all the time, and don't really get injured. And the guy writing the book was just fascinated by this. But anyway, you can't, it's impossible to read that book and not go, wow, I just want to whack on a pair of shoes or not because he, encur- he encourages to run barefoot and just get out. And um, since I read that book, I've told myself that I would do want to, I do want to run in a long distance race pretty soon, probably in the next five, six months. And and so have you got like um, a marathon or something like an, a set date that you can pin your hat on and go right. I'm going to run whatever it may be, the Copenhagen Marathon on March the 25th, for example. There is no set date right now, but Seb, you know me, and I'm a man of my word, and I can almost guarantee. No, I can guarantee that, barring some sort of injury or something, that by June. I would have uh, racked up some uh, official kilometers under my belt. Okay, well, we'll keep you to that. When we do a summer podcast, we can uh, see if that's the case, isn't it? Yeah, um, it it will definitely happen before the summer. I'll be running long distance before the summer. I promise. And what about yourself, man? Um, yeah, good. Uh, like you said, been I was back in the UK for the holidays. Obviously, Ireland is in the UK, but you know, back on on that the, the region. Yeah, the region, that, that same area, um, that same patch of grass. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, that no, was good. I saw like a lot of my friends, some of whom I hadn't seen in quite a while. So that was good. Um, there's one day where we all, I always have this like reunion every year because my friends are just terrible for meeting up, even though I'm the only one who actually lives abroad. 
they kind of hardly any of them ever meet up throughout the year so um we've all uh got together on the 27th and we just always just go to like a pub at like midday and just like um make a den out there and just stay there for like 10 11 hours <laughs> um do you, do you rent a table yeah we just like yeah we book a table and right. like, so we, we were given like this upstairs space and we just stayed there for like however long and then after a couple of pints um well not a couple uh almost a dozen pints um <laughs> <laughs> apparently i can't remember but apparently i said some things that may have uh put people the wrong way so the morning after there are a few <laughs> there are a few apologies being sent you know you've got to know when you've made a mistake be man enough to uh admit it of course so yeah so i had to make a few apologies so that wasn't great um but the night itself was fun at least i think from what i remember and then then yeah, just saw my family, which was good. Um, had a few conversations, which I guess we'll get we'll get into later in, into the podcast. But no, it was good. Obviously, have obviously living in Madrid, I don't see them as often as I guess most people see their families. So some well um, needed time together. Um, and then by by the time I was like flying back, like just a few days before I needed to fly back to Madrid, I was kind of ready to come back. I was going to say come back home and because to me Madrid is home now. Um, England kind of, it feels like a home away from home. Um, I don't know, it's weird. I, I, I almost feel like a foreigner when I'm there. In fact, when I went to London, quite funny, I went to London, like flew into Stansted and uh, they had like a little booth to get um, like National Express tickets and I had to get one to get to my mate's house because he lives in Brixton. My mate was like, oh, you have to go to this station. It's called, Su- well, it's pronounced Southwark, right? But it's spelled South and then W-A-R-K. So me and my Spanish mode, I'm still re- I'm reading it literally. So I go to the person, like at this booth, I'm like, oh, can I get a ticket to Southwark station? And he's like, oh, Southwark. Yeah, 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 cool. And then I'm like, yeah. Um, and then obviously, like, I'm still full on Spanish mode. So I go, I want to say to him, like, can I, like, pay contactless? But I can't, it's not coming to me. Like, all that set my brain is saying is, um, ¿Puedo pagar con tarjeta? It's like, the, it's the only thing my brain is saying. But I know I cannot say to this Englishman, <laughs> ¿Puedo pagar con tarjeta? Right? You should have. So I get my phone out. Mate, I get my phone out and I just point to my phone. Like, I just look at him and point to my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> bless him, he, he was like, oh, we're contactless. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he must have thought, who the hell is this guy? Like, his accent's perfect, but he can't put two words together. And then the next day I went to meet um, an old housemate of mine uh, who lives in London as well. Um, she like, we met up in, like, King's Cross. And uh, so basically, like, in, for people who don't know, in Madrid, you don't, you don't have to press um, the button for the green man. You just, it's on a timer. Um, and obviously in England, you do have to press the button. Um, anyway, so I'm at this um, crossing and I must be there for at least five minutes. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is taking forever. And then some man comes up behind me and like presses the button and just looks at me like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, for God's sake. And then and then we got to the, like we got to this cafe and I like, had brunch or whatever. And um, then like, so we did, made the order and the waiter was like, is that everything for you? 
And I went, oh, see, sí, gracias. And I was just like, oh, for God's sake, this just needs to stop. Like, this just needs to stop. So it took, a, it was weird, but it took about a day for me to fully, like, acclimatise back into, like, English mode again. But it was nice. I made up for it. I had about three fish and chips, two Chinese, because, like, in, Eng in Spain, the Chinese isn't the same. Um, a good few double-deckers. So, no, it was really, it was an enjoyable time. I put on about 10 kg, so... I mean, I should probably take you up on that running long distance because pff, Lord knows I need it. Um, but no, all good, man. Starting off the yeah, starting off the new year. Um, just well, it's exciting, I guess, and it was launching this podcast, so that's exciting. Been a long time in the waiting. Was it been six months, maybe if not more? So that's like exciting, long overdue. Um, and yeah, just see where this year takes us, really. So without further ado, let's get let's get into the main topic then, which is um, like we said, is titled "Mother and Fathers," where we're going to talk about. We're going to start off talking about um, Jim's mum, and then we'll go on from there, and we'll talk about um, my parents and my family situation. Okay, well, there's no real good place to start, so I reckon we should just get straight into it, and if you could just tell us all what's your story and, and what happened, really. Well, um, when I was like six or seven, my mum was diagnosed with cancer, and while your memory isn't that good at that age, you just have a constant, or what I have anyway, is like a memory of just my mom just not being in good health basically right and uh this just deteriorated until when i was eight or nine it would just be like a heavy stints away from home kind of uh until when i was nine she passed away and uh since then it's it's honestly because like you said divorce has been such a common trend yeah um, I've kind of felt lucky in a way because I see a lot of anger and angst and bitterness amongst families mm. and I don't while death is obviously very difficult to comprehend and come to terms with the passing of my mother was I look at it as a positive thing because it brought definitely my family closer and it made me realize from an early age that you can't really go through these difficult things alone mm. you know so obviously as a nine-year-old it's hard for your friends to kind of have that conversation but as they've got older and become more aware have you noticed that they've come to you have you become almost the spokesperson for bereavement because i've noticed that with some of my friends where they've gone through something similar and they've become the go-to person for that specific type of um, suffering, I guess? Um, I would say definitely the first few years, it would be like I would kind of try and avoid bringing it up because like when you're a kid, like 12, 13, 14, mm -hmm. you're just talking about football and shit. 
it's not really like a topic of conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids don't really have the emotional wherewithal to really tackle this with the nuance it needs. So it was probably only until I hit like late teens, you know, maybe 17, 18, 19, that I really had probably what I would describe as good conversations about it with friends. Um, also, like at the time when I was kid, like directly after my best friend at the time, I just spent a lot of time with him because he was just incredibly funny. And I remember I just kind of wanted to spend as much time with him as I could because he just... Is that just escaping? Probably, like, yeah. Like just forget about it yeah, yeah, yeah. the time? Probably. Um, and then, yeah, as the years gone on, it would just, it, it just became easier because, you know, people are more understanding, mm. I guess. Yeah. Also, like at the time, it's quite rare. Right. You know, you don't have yeah. that many people to link with. And then as a few of my friends had parents that were getting divorced, while it's not the same, there are, you know, some strong similarities. Mm. And that became, definitely facilitated me being more okay talking about these things you know right and so how was that within the household obviously there was your sister and your dad who were still reeling from it as well um i'm interested to know with whether your sister as she's older than you if she almost took up that maternal mantle piece not to say that she replaced your mother but she became a more caring figure rather than just seeing you as a sibling um and also how did your extended family react to that did it bring you guys closer or did it leave you almost estranged from them as you couldn't relate to to them anymore because your lives were so much different now and obviously they're also dealing with that um grief so they're dealing with it in their own way so when actually only a few months ago i was talking to my godmother about this and she was telling me because i don't really remember it but she was telling me that after my mom died, like my dad was like inconsolable. Like mm. he was just not a functioning member of society for a long time. Yeah, like it knocked him for six. Yeah. You know, he was like he, which is obviously like normal, but yeah, yeah. Um, and I think my dad took it particularly hard because his mom actually died when he was nine. Oh Jesus! Yeah, and okay. he definitely had trouble dealing with that and probably still hasn't dealt with that and then when he met my mom i think he found like this is this is a woman that can you know provide things for me that i need Mm -hmm. and uh when she died i think he was really like dejected really just he didn't really know he felt aimless and i think if he didn't have me and katie like he would i don't know what would have happened you know he really looked at as it was his just job now to look after me and Kate. Right. So after, after that, I mean, like you, like you mentioned, after the, the extended family were huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm very close to people, who I'm not really, strictly speaking, very close to in terms of blood. Right. But they, you know, they helped out badly. Like, like we needed a lot of help, and they were there. You know, even like my neighbor would cook meals for us because my dad wouldn't be home. Just things like this and things that you don't forget. So mm. it it that's what I, I really do look at it as a a buzz. <laughs> I really like. It sounds strange, but it really has helped me appreciate things that I probably wouldn't appreciate otherwise. Right. 
Um, in terms of my sister, I I definitely wouldn't say that she has become like a maternal figure at all. I think she. Was What's the age difference? She's two years and nine months old. Ah, okay. So it's not like old enough where you go like I've got to take care of my younger brother now because you're both nah. realistically you're the yeah, same. Like, we're both struggling. So now. like you're nine, she's eleven. It's like she's like seventeen or something where she can nah. go. No, no. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and only I'd say like <clears throat> the last two or three years that me and Katie have really like become stronger mm. together yeah so does she come up in conversation nowadays or is she almost banished to the past because her passing away is still too much to bear especially for someone like your dad i mean she definitely comes up and it's not avoided no definitely yeah, she's, it's definitely not avoided it's, but also i think me and my sister are more um forthcoming with reflections or whatever compared right. to my dad because for instance, we watched this movie two weeks ago, and the last time my dad saw it was in the cinema with my mom, and like it, like it really was like a knock my dad. It yeah. was just like, oh god, this was the last, last time. time. Yeah. Right. And uh, so it would like me and my sister would be absolutely fine talking about this, and so I with my dad, but my dad would definitely have a heavier heart about it because right, yeah. And I remember you telling me that your mom was an only child, and that her parents or your grandparents um no longer alive so it's almost as if that whole side of the family is no longer part of the living family anymore so how was that not to overcomplicate things now but my mom was an only child but she grew up basically with the extended family so right. she would treat her cousins like, like brothers and right, sisters okay. and that's why we had so much help so right. like when i mentioned earlier that we weren't i'm not particularly blood close to this, these people yeah they would look at us like first cousins like brothers right. and sisters so like when my mom died they would be helping my dad with everything with mm-hmm. other things as well as well as my dad's side but my dad's side is actually way smaller right okay it was the extended family on my mom's side that would help us totally okay and now that a decade's passed and you've had time to reflect and obviously it would have changed you as a person have you become more empathetic and more understanding especially as a bloke to your male friends who may be going through something similar or have gone through something similar and you can now be the rock for them as you understand exactly what they're going through i definitely think that i try anyway to use this experience to help others in in a similar similar time yeah yeah because i know i had it to an extent when my mom died but i would definitely have appreciated more of course yeah, yeah. And so if something happens with similar friends, I do want to say that while I can't provide too much, like you, you are, you do have to process these things on your own and do it in your own way. Mm-hmm. You do need help. You do need other people to listen to, even if it's just listening, even yeah. if it's just, you know, going on a walk or like yeah. playing football with them, you know, just, and, and, and not making it weird. Like I remember, like I went, we had counseling, me and my sister had counseling. Right. After. How was that? Was that? I don't. While or... I, I don't really remember it, right. but I do remember. Man, it's just like it's real nice. I remember being in a room with people whose moms and dads had died, and it was just uh, nice. So it wasn't like a one-on-one no, therapy. It wasn't group. Yeah, it was group. Right. Okay. okay. And it was just real nice to know, like, oh yeah, like that guy said that, and I, I feel the same. Right. Okay. And it's just nice to know, like, oh, I'm, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. So it, the exact same happens now, and like, if I'm going through some things, and or if my friends going through some things. Like, basically, I think I'm way more frank with how I'm doing, right. whether it's 
really happy or sad yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And how are the Irish with sharing your feelings and being honest with each other? Because obviously in England and Britain we have the stiff upper lip syndrome. And I think things are changing now, but that's definitely how it is in general um, and especially among guys it can take us by surprise when one of us wants to open up and I don't think we know how to react but I did notice that when I came to visit you in Dublin um, people were much more sincere in their listening to you and they seem to pay attention to you and so I wonder if that kind of converted into a frankness and an openness when it comes to those intimate difficult conversations so it's funny you say that right i remember my nan used to say this and my nan obviously had the best intentions but i only think about it recently my nan used to say when you laugh the world laughs with you and when you cry you cry alone <laughs> right <laughs> I, remember, I remember she said that to me and it was obviously like to encourage me to be happy and not to yeah. be sad but it's like that is a terrible terrible approach yeah. uh uh in terms of the Irish thing, the big, my big criticism of like a general Irish trend is that I feel like we don't ever talk about death. We we feel like talking about death is depressing, so we better not do it. But then when we experience death, we're absolutely overwhelmed because we haven't prepared ourselves at all. Right. I mean, I've told you this before, I think I'm just incredibly lucky with my friends that you've met me, that I do think they're just very good listeners, right. you know? It's definitely not like an Irish trend per right. se, no, I mean, I don't know, you'd have to ask somebody else. I mean, <laughs> somebody's not Irish. Yeah, somebody's not Irish. To, to me, I still have conversations where I feel like people definitely are listening right. on a regular basis. Okay. Because we love ch- chit-chat as well, like I like in England, like yeah, chit-chatting. Yeah. But uh, no, I feel like I'm really lucky with my friends. And would you say that you have an active relationship with your mum? And what I mean by that is you hear and see some people say that some of their past relatives, for example, loved butterflies, right? So every time that they see a butterfly, they feel as if it's their relative just looking down them or just saying, I'm still here, like I'm still by your side. For example, for me, with my nonna Nuncia, who was like my Italian nan, she, um, her favourite saint, she was very religious, and her favourite saint was Padre Pio. And every now and again, I will see a picture of Padre Pio, whether it's in the street or in some sort of church. And to me, it's just maybe something that I've made up, but it's uh, something that I find comforting. And it's, I like to think that it's her saying, I'm still here, don't worry, I haven't completely gone. Uh, that's beautiful, man. One of my uncles told me a few months ago, he said that, you know, like the Latin meaning of the word inspired is to live in the spirit of. Oh, right. Oh, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and since he said that, I've really took that on for people who are dead and alive. So, for instance, like I just left uh, after spending a year in the Netherlands with like some really good people. And like there's a chance that I won't see these people yeah. again or for a very long time. But I feel like if you live, if you are inspired by them, if you, you know, you, you really appreciate what they brought to your life, you can live with that right. in your mind. And that's the exact same. Unconsciously, that's exactly how I live with my with my mom and my mind, you know. Uh, the things that I really appreciated, that I really valued from her, uh-huh. I definitely tried to yeah. live by, for and, sure. And would you say that maybe your mom lives on within you, not in a Lion King Mufasa type of way, but... In the sense of, within myself, for example, I see a lot of traits that my mum has, that my dad has, and sometimes scarily similar. 
whereby I'll say something or I'll do something and I'll go, oh my God, that is literally what my parents used to do or still do now. And I was wondering if people see your mum in you, like if you do anything or if you say anything or a certain mannerism that reminds them of her through you. So I didn't mention this, but what happened was after my nan lived with us, uh, as far as I know, like since I was born, if not shortly after, and so when my mom died, my nan was still alive. Right. And she lived mm, two and a half years longer. Uh-huh. And those two and a half years were massive in like my formation, I think. And I really remember um, very frequently my nan saying things like, uh, you're you're a Shannon, like that's like a name. Right. You, you're not an O'Connell. Right. Like okay. joking, yeah, like yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. and my dad was like, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. right. So, in in terms of do I think I'm really like my mom? It's difficult because like yeah, you know, so young and definitely it's just when you spend so much more time with somebody. Like for instance, right? Because I've been away, and when I go home now, my sister is living with my dad, and honestly, I come home and my sister be asking me the exact same questions my dad is asking me, and the exact same responses. Yeah, I'm like, Katie, you're turning it to my dad. Yeah, you yeah. you need yeah. to sort this out. Like, <laughs> yeah. so. I think it's bound to happen when you just spend so much time with a person. Yeah. And now when you're with your mum's cousins, obviously who they knew her like very well, would you do something or say something where they go, oh, that's Carol, like there she is? Or do they kind of just keep it shtum and not say anything to you in fear of upsetting you? Um, I think some members have said that I'm more like my nan. Right. I've actually said that, like, yeah. oh, that, that's Mavis. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I definitely do things like my dad as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Terrible with my hands. <laughs> One of the things that I really wanted to ask you for my own reasons, and because I think people will find it really interesting, um, is through your personal experiences, is there anything that you would have improved in the backlash? So in the grieving process, is there anything that you'd have done differently or you would have asked your dad to do differently or certain family members knowing what you know now also it struck me that your dad dealt with the passing of his parent when he was younger and so obviously whilst I completely empathize with the fact that he's lost love of his life and that he was completely not for six I was kind of shocked to some extent that he wasn't there kind of saying to you look son I've gone through the exact same thing at your age this is what's going to happen this is how it's going to feel like don't worry about anything yeah that was uh interesting to me yeah, it's funny, you know, because so why I think my dad didn't do that right. is because my dad wasn't able, like, it was just a different time. It was yeah. the 60s um, and the 60s in Catholic Ireland where my dad wasn't allowed to go to his mom's funeral because, no, you don't go. You, you're too young. You Like, it, it means not enough to you to miss school, basically. So my dad never fully got to say goodbye right to his mother so i feel like his process dealing with the grief after it was completely different to my process so i i feel like my dad was like probably still dealing with some of that to this day and i don't feel like he was emotionally comfortable saying here son you're probably gonna feel like this you're probably gonna feel like this but what i do think my dad did like so well was to just provide a home where me and Katie never felt uncomfortable. Right. So, you know, like, for instance, we would come home and we would just have shit days. Yeah. And my dad's like, that's absolutely fine. That's absolutely normal. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I totally understand that. Uh-huh. And like, regardless of the age, you know, like it, it just was nice. For instance, I know a lot of people struggle if somebody's, uh, if one of their parents dies and then the mother or the father starts seeing somebody else yeah, or if it's a divorce and they start seeing somebody else and then they yeah. come into the house and then all of a sudden they feel like it's like a territorial thing, like yeah. they're taking over. My dad was always like, this is your home. Mm-hmm. This is our home. Like you're, you're perfectly, you, this is your domain. Like yeah, yeah. express yourself yeah. regardless of if it's ups and downs. And so while my dad didn't give me the kind of, son, I think you're going to feel like this, because I don't think he was given that at all. It, right. Back in the day, my dad was like, sorry, get on with it. Yeah, she, you know? you're a man of his era. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, and in terms of like a wider thing, I guess I like a, I'm really lucky just to look back at my dad. I had the group counseling, which was great. My school was relatively good because there was another guy in my year whose mom had died and then there was two others that were experienced like tough divorce so like we kind of knew we had like weekly meetings for a while and it was kind of like a shared thing we knew what was going on i mean of course there are just little things that could be improved but it's difficult because you know i wish that my friends had the capabilities of going like sorry to jump in but what should someone do in that situation when a friend of theirs or loved one has lost a loved one because in my own personal situation i've had two really good friends lose their dads um one happened when i was 16 years old 16 or 17 at school and the other one i was a bit older i think i was about 18 um and in both circumstances i don't think i did enough in the first one we asked basically that one of our best friends he lost his dad and there happened to be another guy in the school who'd gone through something similar beforehand so we asked him we said look like our mate just lost his dad like what's the best way to act and he just said the best way is to act normal don't pity him be the normal friends that you are and so we did that but basically i felt like in doing that we almost acted as if nothing had ever happened and obviously something absolutely monumental life-changing had happened um something that would mark him for the rest of his life and then with my second friend he lost his dad and we sent him flowers and a letter and saying sorry but we did that typical British thing of okay let's leave him now to grieve in his own time and and again I felt like I wasn't there for him and and by the time I reflected on it and thought I could have done more it was already too late then it's two three years down the line so what should someone do in that situation it is because I was going to say it is real different because if there are people that want to kind of just go kind of put it on a shelf and Mm. kind of want to say yeah this was shit but i prefer if you didn't bring it up right and i can't tell them that no yeah i mean what i would describe as a what i believe is like a healthy way of going about it is just it's like more mere presence like it's it's it was just see again it was difficult comparing the age and stuff but the idea of just being around people and then just knowing for instance, that it would be cool if I said, like, oh, here, I was crying today. Like, it came up today. Or, right. Or, you know, if my friend says something that, while he might not have the direct experience, he expresses a similar emotion because something else happened. Mm-hmm. That, unconsciously, that makes me think, oh, it's cool for me to say this to him now. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, so you like, opening up might make him open yes. up. Yes. Right. Like, instead of you going, here, man, I'm sorry, and if you ever want to talk about it, talk about it. But it's all good and well you telling me that, but really you don't mean that. Yeah. Or, unfortunately, what happens in Ireland is, like, after a fucking rake of points, 
somebody's like, oh, here, if you ever want to talk about it, talk about it, but they don't really mean it. Yeah, yeah. You know, or if they do, they do mean it, but they, they, they're not. They have the vocabulary to even, yeah, have the conversation. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a difficult thing, you yeah, know. Yeah, And also, I've seen a lot of people who haven't processed it at all, like their, like divorces and stuff, and when they're fucking real pissed, they'll just be chatting, like, about this, and, like, very passionately, and you can see that it's yeah. irksome, and then the next day, Nothing. And what are your thoughts on this? Um, with my friend from sick form, I made a conscious effort not to bring up my dad around him. For some reason, I thought that would make him feel upset just because normally when you're talking about parents, the conversation is reciprocal. So if I'm talking about my mum and dad, eventually we're going to get on to talking about your mum and dad. So I just thought, well, if I don't ever talk about my dad, then his dad will never come up in conversation and it won't make him feel awkward. But looking back on it, I'm thinking maybe I thought too much about it maybe he would never have cared anyway so I was just wondering if you noticed something similar with yourself or and um, what would you think of that you know I remember when I was a kid after my mom dying like maybe 12 or 13 I remember one of my mates would particularly complain about his mom often mm. I remember saying like here yeah, man like you're kind of lucky, lucky yeah. yeah but that doesn't mean that his criticisms aren't valid. You know, oh, yeah, as in, yeah. like, his mom might be doing things that are really upsetting him. Yeah. And that he would, she should probably have that conversation with his mom, you know. it. So for you to be like, oh, I don't want to talk about my dad just in case mm. he starts thinking about his dad. Mm. I mean, it's, it's nice of you to think that. But again, it all depends where that person's at. Right, yeah. That person could be like, here, Seb. My dad died, but it doesn't mean that your dad died. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like I like hearing about your dad. Yeah, that's yeah. a nice guy. Yeah, you're you're a good friend. I yeah. like hearing about your dad. Yeah, yeah. So it's just different horses. It, for horses. it is, man. Because I know it's like a, an easy answer per se, but for me, I would never be like, "Oh, don't you dare talk about him." No, man. even straight after. So the best thing know? is what you were saying, like in general, just for someone who's looking and trying to get some sort of advice, would be get them not get them to open up but allow them to see that they can open up yeah if you open up to them yeah. first yeah. and would you say like checking in I it's also it's, sorry it's, sorry, yeah, yeah. it's also like place and time as well yeah you know if you're in work yeah obviously it's probably not the not best the right time, yeah. yeah or if you're on the subway yeah yeah, yeah. but so those, those things in in itself are signs that the person is sincere right so you know if you're my friend but the only time you ever ask me how i'm doing is on the subway and work I know that you really aren't willing to Just hear how I'm feeling. Yeah, right. But if, if me and you are walking down the street and it's not that busy, or if me yeah. and you are in our house, yeah. and then you go, hey, how are we doing? Then I go, okay, he probably wants to hear about it. I'll yeah. tell him. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So it's, it's little things, man. Yeah. Little things. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, man, let's get on to you and what you've been dealing with. On the start, but how was it coming back for Christmas? It's the second time since the divorce, right? I don't actually, I can't. I don't know when they the like legal divorce happened. I think it's probably about a year ago. I reckon. So I think it if it was a year ago, if I'm correct, then it's about probably the first time. Actually, well, I came back home because my nan died. That was unfortunate, so I had to come home for that. But yeah, um, but the separation happened three Christmases ago. So what was that? So two thousand Christmas of two thousand and sixteen. That was like when the separation happened, and then then all the rest is just kind of legal and formalities do you know what i mean um yeah it was uh it was interesting it was difficult um for anyone who's been on our website and um, they can see i kind of wrote a poem a while back called uh maybe one day about 
kind of dreading coming back to Chris, like coming home for Christmas because I knew that obviously while I wanted to see my family and stuff, I knew that there was going to, some conversations were going to have to be said to make sure that we kind of start 2020 on a better footing and not have this whole situation drag on and just kind of accept it for what it is and just kind of hopefully let the animosity die um, and just move on with all of our lives independently because unfortunately I think it's a fact for 99% of divorces basically that they kind of they always get to that ugly stage I think it, they start out with good intentions like at least my parents did they started out wanting to be amicable and whatever else but then it gets to the nitty-gritty and the lawyers get involved and whatever else and before you know it, it does get quite ugly, which is difficult to see because ultimately it's your they're your parents, and there's a difference between seeing your parents argue, which I've seen my parents argue loads of times, and most people I'm sure I've seen their parents argue. But this gets difficult because there's kind of oh, don't worry, they'll get you know they'll patch it back up in a in an hour's time. It's more like a it just kind of lingers and festers on, and then obviously the kids invariably get brought into it because you know it is what it is it's obviously on our parents mind all the time it's a very stressful situation and so we hear bits and bobs and you hear one side of the story you hear the other side of the story and I always I always think like on balance the truth is probably somewhere in the middle um <clears throat> but yeah obviously living abroad I kind of get it in snapshots whereas like my sister she'll she has it on the day-to-day -day, which is worse obviously oh well they all have it on the day-to-day -day. you know my mum my dad and my sister but would your sister be filling you in on a day-to-day -day basis or would she keep it to herself no i've i've asked her to i've like told her that i'm obviously i'm there for her because she's my younger sister so obviously i well we all feel like we have a duty of care towards her and she's had a rough couple of years anyway apart from the divorce um but her opinion is, look, what are you going to be able to do? Like, you're in Madrid. It's not as if you can help anyway. And if I tell you, then you're just going to get upset almost for no reason because there's nothing you can do about it. So she's almost, which I, to some extent I thank her for, but she almost wants to keep me ignorant in the sense of ignorance is bliss. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, so I don't get the day-to-day, -day, but every now and again, like when my when I call my mom or I call my dad or whatever, you'll get I get a little snapshot of what's happening at home. I don't get the full picture, obviously. Um, but I knew that kind of as my responsibility to Demelza, my younger sister, and just to the family in general was like, right, let's try to kind of put these last three years behind us if we can and just move on from it and just start 2020. Look, they're not going to be best friends and I'm not expecting that, but just everyone move on with their own life now um and i always say that like the the different the thing that i've mainly noticed from a divorce is that when you're a family and you have that family nucleus um the the relationships they're interdependent they're codependent so your relationship with your sister affects your relationship with your father which affects your relationship with your mother which will affect i mean it's like a spider's web and you're all linked whereas when a divorce takes place it almost cuts that and so then your relationships become singular and linear so it's just a matter of 
you know, if, if for example, if I'm if I get on with my mum, but my sister and my mum have had a fallout, there's nothing I can do to really make my mum and my sister get you know get back together so to say is it i have to kind of leave that up to those two and it's whatever they feel is right and vice versa so then what happens is it's kind of everyone is um i wouldn't say acting out of their own interests but like i said that that nucleus that codependency is no longer there anymore and so you kind of get this very fractured um situation which i which for me has been i'd say probably the most difficult thing about the divorce because obviously being Italian, we were very family orientated and like the family nucleus was the absolute number one in our lives. Um, and I, I think, I think I've only recently probably um, discovered this, but I would say that I probably suffered from a loss of identity um, or an identity crisis. I don't know how you put it, but I, I think everyone has their own image of how they view themselves and how others view them. And I always viewed myself as son of, brother of. Um, uh, and so there went, So when that kind of, obviously I'm still my mum and my father's son, and obviously I'm still my sister's daughter, but when that, that family nucleus breaks down, it can be very difficult to, at least for me, because that's how I saw myself, to kind of see, okay, well, who are you now? Also because, um, we'll, go in, we'll touch on this maybe in a different podcast, but my extent my um what do you call it exterior family my outer family my greater family the cousins aunties uncles all that side there was a big um shit storm that happened over there so we kind of lost we both we lost the immediate family and the greater family kind of all at one within the same three-year period so from having this huge italian family that was so interconnected and at least seemed to be so close to each other you then, within a year or two, become like this nomad type thing. At least that's the feeling that I had. So that was that was difficult to come to terms with. Um, so yeah, that was probably what was difficult. And then I just had to. I came home and I had the conversations with my mum and my dad. And I think, um, and also my sister was there. And I think they were um, useful. I think they served their purpose. But I guess you know, only time will tell whether those conversations will actually yield any different results or whether you know we're just going to carry on in the same type of shtick that like i can't i can't tell just yet we probably have to do a a review on that in six six months or so but at least the reaction was the reaction that i was hoping for which was one of open ears acceptance and kind of understanding because it wasn't the problem that i've had and I understand, but the problem that I've had um, is that when I talk to my mum or my dad, sometimes they can get defensive. Um, and so then what happened, what was supposed to be a nice conversation, or not nice, but, you know, a, a, a low-key conversation that was just to express someone's feelings, turns out into an argument because someone takes it as a personal attack, which is never the intention. And so I was worried that that would be the case again, because obviously at Christmas time, the last thing you want to do is be shouting at each other. So I kind of came at it from a very like, look, this isn't to say that you're, you know, a terrible mother or father or whatever. This is just to say these actions have made me feel a certain way. I just like if you'd appreciate it, like appreciate how I feel and let's see how we can move on together to kind of get back to that steady relationship rather than 
just having a relationship out of duty, you know, like one of like, oh, I'm your son, you're my mother, so I'm my father, so I have to have respect for you. But that's it, where there's no actual love there, there's no real bond. I don't want that for myself nor for them. And and obviously, and I think that's almost more pertinent when I move abroad because I'm in Madrid. So if I, it's harder for me to kind of reconnect because it's not like we can do it on it. It's not a day to day thing that we can work on. It's a every three four month thing. So you know the conversation that I had with my mum, for example, was basically the long and short of it was just that. Excuse me. The long and short of it was just that I wanted to see her more, and I wanted to. You know, I saw her once in 2019, not including my nan's funeral or Christmas, because obviously every year I'm going to come home for Christmas. So in the whole of 2019, I only actually saw her one time. And I was like, look, like it's just, it's not good enough from both of us. Um, because you never know what could happen. I could cross the road tomorrow morning on the way to work and get hit by a bus. And the last time I saw you was eight months ago, you know. Um, and it's not as if I live in Australia where you go, well, okay, fair enough. It's however many miles or thousands of miles away and tickets are £3,000. I mean, I live in Madrid. It's a 50 quid ticket and um, and a two hour flight. And that works for me as well. Like I can make, I, I've realised I could have made more effort, um, you know, maybe go back to London. My mum loves London. So maybe I could have, that was an option that I think I was maybe at the time too stubborn to uh, almost ask for because I kind of felt like it was her duty to see me and make the effort as the mother. And then I think upon like further reflection, I realised that um, that it takes two to tango basically. And my, how did like for all my mum thinks like maybe my mum thought that I was perfectly happy in Madrid because I didn't say anything. Whereas I'm in Madrid stewing, and, but she's like, oh well, he's getting on with his life. He lives with Louisa. He's happy. Do you know what I mean? It so like that miscommunication then it's impossible to ever sort anything out. So that's why the conversation was important. And then with my dad, it was just more of a conversation of, look, like, I know things have been hard. Obviously, work is, business is hard at the moment with, you know, Brexit and everything else. Kind of England is almost in a stalemate. It's almost frozen in time. People aren't spending money as they used to. And, you know, so my dad is, my dad's restaurant is a fine dining establishment. So it's not as if people go out there, like, whenever they fancy it's a, it's a big event for people. So if people aren't spending money, it's difficult for it to get going. And, you know, then you've got the stress of the divorce and so on and so forth. But my dad's kind of very insular. And uh, I was like, look, dad, like whether it's going to therapy or whether it's talking to like your friends or whatever it is, but like you have to express your feelings, not to Demalza, but you have to express your feelings to people and like come out in the open because people are there for you and it's just not healthy to always think things over and I think my dad and myself I think we're very similar we kind of we both think things over a lot in our own minds and almost play out conversations in our own minds rather than kind of have those conversations we just play them over and over and over and over and over and to the point where we drive ourselves crazy and I truly believe in you know that it might be cliche but that saying of a problem shared is a problem halved so i just think it was important and i hope uh, my dad listens and i hope he does you know just spends more time with his friends when he can and talks and just lets kind of releases that um pressure valve a little bit so yeah so we'll see like i said we'll see if if in the future um things change but i'm hopeful i'm at least starting 2020 
in a more hopeful um, environment than I started 2019 or 2018 for that matter. So, Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing. Um, I have a few questions. The first question is, you said you were suffering a bit from an identity crisis, but how do you see yourself now? I mean, do you think you that has that changed? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I kind of... Well, uh, I think that I've replaced what I thought I lacked with my exterior family, like my extended family, with my friends, because when the shit hit the fan, I kind of told a lot of friends, and then it got to a point where I would just tell anyone uh, who would listen, because it was just so overwhelming that I couldn't, I almost couldn't talk about anything else, because it was just the only thing that was on my mind. And there are a good few friends who bless them. And over the years, and it has been two, three years now, over the years, have constantly like listened to me and been there for me. Not even, not necessarily offer advice, because that's not always what I wanted, but just be a soundboard. And so I always love my friends anyway. I'm quite like an intense person. Like if you, if you're my friend, you're my friend forever. And if you're not, well, better not to talk about it. But I kind of have taken those friends on in an even more um, immediate way. And I kind of now see them as my extended family. Not even extended, I almost see them as my immediate family, to be quite honest. Because without them, without them being there, I'm not sure how I would have got through it, to be quite honest. Um, so they were really helpful. And that was, it was comforting to know that they, they were there because you always like to think that your friends are, you know, who you think they are. But until like a real moment arrives, there's kind of, you know, it's that, what's the, the litmus, litmus test? It's like, you, what, how can you tell if your friends are really there through thick and thin until you have to go through those thick and thin moments? And so that was comforting to know that my friends aren't just all talk and that they are like real friends that I can like truly rely on. And especially because obviously moving abroad, I see those friends even less now. And so you could, you know, when I move abroad, when I moved abroad, I could, like, I worried slightly maybe that those relationships would die out to some extent just because of distance and obviously everyone's starting a new chapter in their own lives. And I mean, you know how it is. You know, one person gets a girlfriend and this person gets a boyfriend. And before you know it, you see them less and less because they're doing their own thing. And so to know that actually, despite what boyfriend or girlfriend they may have or what new friends they, have, they may make, I'll always have those, that set group of friends. They'll always be there for me is really reassuring. And that's why, for example, the 27th of December, when we have that reunion, is like, that's the most important day for me, like in terms of the, in the Christmas holidays, because it's just, it's the thing I most look forward to. So that was reassuring. But yeah, I think, uh, I definitely do still see myself as son of and brother of. But yeah, like I said, I think the biggest thing is now that my friends, to me now, they're like, they've cemented their place in my family as it were and it just kind of re i was always of the opinion that well i've come to the opinion sorry that you can't help who your family are and despite the divorce i love my um my immediate family very much and they're all very good people but my extended family unfortunately some of them turned out to be not who we thought they were um and you can't help that that's not in your power you know what I mean? You are just born into whoever you're born into. And if you happen to be born into a loving, amazing family, that's brilliant. But if you don't, it's not your fault. But you can choose your friends. And so I've taken that like quite literally and very seriously. And so it's good to know that I've chosen people that have good character. 
and that don't waver. Um, and that will always be like always be there for me. And I hope that they, I'm sure they do, but I hope that they know that I'm always there for them regardless. So that was that was very comforting. Um, so I yeah, I say that's probably how I see myself now. Did it make you also reevaluate? the often cemented idea that your family can do no wrong you know you said how you see your friends as family but you know how when your family do something wrong the excuse you make for them is ah that's just my dad or my uncle or my sister that's just the way they are they make you think wait is being my uncle enough to to excuse all of the bad behavior even though he's just a person who knows me like your friends know you but you wouldn't accept it from a friend, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. Like, obviously, I don't have kids now, but whenever I do have kids and start to have that extended family and whatever else, like, there's, from my side, there's going to be no, I'm not taking any shit. Like, just because there's, there's two reasons. Like, time is so limited. And, you know, for example, with my extended family in Italy, I used to go over there every summer. Every summer, we'd fly over. And that, okay, when you're like 10 and 11, it is what it is. But when you're 15, 16 and your friends back home are starting to go to festivals and this, that and the other and starting to go to like, they're starting to have their own holidays together as a group. And I would always say no, because I felt like I felt this duty to go over to Italy and to see them. And then you kind of look at how things have panned out and you go, actually, like, obviously that was, that duty was completely misplaced. And so now, like, if I... If I think anyone's not kind of pulling their weight or is just being an idiot or, or whatever, I'll, they'll get their comeuppance. And I'm not going to like, because my time is just too precious now. And I, that is time that I could rather spend with a friend or with my sister or whoever, quality time, rather than like, oh, we've got to go see Uncle John Smith because he's our uncle, but everyone hates him and he's a dickhead. I'm like, nah, like, I'm not about that anymore. Like, I'm sorry, just the fact that you have, you married into the family or you're some sort of, we have shared some distant DNA is not enough to make me accept your bullshit anymore. And like I said, like, I, I live in Madrid now, so I don't see my friends that much. So my time is almost even more precious. Like, I, I really value my time now, especially when I'm back in England, because it's like, I can't, I want to see as many people as I can, but I've only got whatever, whatever it is, two weeks. And so I'm not going to go see people who I just, I can't tolerate or, you know, it is what it is. Like one of my uncles, one of them it just talks an utter shite. He is just a serial bullshitter. And it's just like, he's not, he's not a horrible man, but he is just a bullshitter. And it's just, why do I have to sit through that anymore? There's no reason. Like, just because you are my uncle does not mean I have to... And the worst part is I can't pull him up on it because he's family, in inverted commas. So you have to just accept it. And it's like you said, but I would never accept that for my friends. Like, if my friends were chatting shit, I would tell them, I'd be like, why are you, like, saying that? That's complete rubbish. But because he's the uncle, you just have to accept it. Um. So, yeah, you're, like, you've hit the nail on the head. Like, I just... I don't see family and friends any different in terms of behaviour. Like, at the end of the day, people are people. And I think... The divorce that kind of happened with the divorce because obviously you put your parents on a pedestal, don't you? And you kind of always see them as the perfect beings. The the example is what you should be as an adult. And then when the divorce happens and you kind of realise that they're just two people trying to work their way through life and that they make as many mistakes as anyone else. And it, in some ways it was upsetting to take that off that off off the pedestal but in other ways it was almost liberating to be like oh 
like the my mum and dad are, they're just humans like they're not these angels that have been sent from god above and they know what's right and wrong like they make as many mistakes as the rest of us so yeah it, it that's been an eye-opener for sure yeah <clears throat> i also look at it a bit as a step towards liberation where it's like oh yeah i used to look at my dad in a way where i would go yeah that's just my dad that's just how he is it's just him and now i've learned more to look at him and think oh my dad does that this way probably because of this and that's probably not a good thing and then when you realize your parents are fought people like the rest of us it's probably a relief because they don't have figured it out so maybe it's okay to not have it figured out yourself you know it's always going to be difficult there's always going to be challenges nobody is ever going to reach a point where they where everything they do was right or you know smooth or compassionate you know like there's always going to be some stumbling blocks and it's really about the journey and just trying to be better wherever possible yeah i think with especially with the divorce i think there's been a, a definite shift in relationship like my family was we were obviously there was love there and whatever else but we were very kind of respectful like my i was never like friends with my mum and dad like i never had that relationship where we'd go out to the pub together and we'd all get pissed together and i mean some people have those relationships some people don't like I, that wasn't my relationship with my mum and dad my mum and dad's relationship was it was built upon like respect and there was that there was that boundary and that boundary kind of got taken down. And now we're almost on an equal footing. All of us, me, my sister, my dad and my mum. And it's a much more, I think it's a much more adult relationship now. Rather than, well, as not it was, wasn't so much this, but rather than kind of the teacher and the student, it's kind of become, okay, we're equals now. And I've, you've made, like talking about my parents, like they've made so many mistakes when it comes to the divorce and how it kind of got handled. I mean, so, and so did Demelza and I, how we dealt with the divorce. And it kind of just, it took down the mask and it took took the wall from our, from our eyes. And we've now, there's definitely been a shift in the relationship whereby I think we now all see each other as equals. And it's not, oh, well, my mum said this, so I have to do it this way because that's how my mum said it. It's like, no, like, that's how she thinks. But like, I don't agree. And I'm perfectly within my rights to number one, make my own mistakes, it's my life. And number two, I don't have to accept everything as as just given. Like it is, you're an, yeah, you might have 30 years on me, but you're still making mistakes now, just like I will still make mistakes when I'm 50 years old. And so it, it did, it definitely took that level of innocence away from myself and my sister and definitely changed the relationship that we have. And I think probably for better, because I'm not sure how healthy it is to see your parents as these perfect beings who never make any wrongs because ultimately that's a lie i mean you don't, okay obviously i don't want my parents to go through a divorce but the fact is my whether i knew it or not my parents were making mistakes my whole upbringing because they're just human beings that's what human beings do better than anything else is make mistakes and so i think it's definitely more healthy to kind of just see them for who they are and see the relationship that we have for what it is so that we can work on it from a base from a foundation of complete and utter truth and take away this kind of masquerade of oh he's my father so I can't ever say anything bad about him and whatever he says goes do you know what I mean there's much more honesty about there's much more honesty about the relationship I think that surely is a big positive then yeah 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 I, yeah there's this there are silver linings with the divorce it's not all negative and I think it's taken me a good while to like come to that conclusion and I 
you know how I said about the relationships are singular, they're linear now, they're not codependent. I think the positive of that is that you can, we can now try to build and 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 improve our our relationship individually with each other and go look like this is how we w- worked when we were a family nucleus but now that we're not a family nucleus anymore let's like actually do things like let's maybe have more of that friendly relationship like christ i'm 23 now like let's go to a pub or come to madrid and let's just sit in the terrace and just chew the chew the fat and just talk about life like there's no reason for us to have this kind of boundary that we had and I don't think we would have come to that conclusion had it not been for the divorce unfortunately because we by then what we were already 20 years down the line and that just that just was our relationship so yeah man there are are silver linings um and look if things were if things could be done again obviously captain hindsight but if things could be done again I'm I'm certain my parents would have done things differently I definitely would have reacted to things differently but but it is what it is you know you learn as you go on you make so many mistakes uh and hopefully they're just mistakes that you can help you in the future so that god forbid but so that if i ever got divorced when i was old when i was older i would know what to do what not to do how things you know how the kids would feel that's what i was saying to my parents a lot of the time i was like look like luckily for you guys you're not kids of a divorce so you don't know what it feels like to be a child of a divorced and estranged parents and i think that goes for a lot of people in our generation like a lot of my friends are divorced like they come from divorced families but their parents are like they grew up in a very normal traditional family so it's hard for the parents to empathize with the kids because they don't really have any idea what they're going through and i think like i think our generation will be a lot better placed to so that if we ever do go through a divorce, to like actually empathise, because we'll be like, look, I know how you feel, because I went through that when I was five, when I was 10, when I was 15, when I was 20. Like, I know exactly what you're feeling. And if I can learn from my own experiences, then obviously I'll be better off for it. For sure, man. Um, there's actually another question I wanted to ask you. where We had a discussion maybe two or three months ago about a similar topic, and you said that your perspective has changed massively recently. Uh, could you talk me through this shift in perspective? Yeah, um, I came to realise that there were four victims in this divorce and not just myself and my sister. You know, my parents are also victims or casualties, I suppose, of a the end of a love story, I guess you can call it. So it took me to realise that, to see that they're suffering just as much as we are in obviously very different ways, but that gave me a level of understanding and forgiveness and patience towards them both. So when they make their errors, it's just as know that they're, it's not as if they're both completely happy with the situation and then it's just me and Demelza who are suffering. There's more to it and they are going through it for the first time as well and it's completely new territory for us all as a, as a family. So that's the first thing. And then secondly, just to give a bit of background, my mum left my dad uh, and uh, there was another man and I absolutely just hated that other man. And there's probably a part of me, the Sicilian part of me, that just wanted to... Uh, <laughs> he lives in Colorado, there's part of me that wanted to fly out to Colorado and, and shoot him. And then I had to meet his, three years later, three years after the fact... So I've been holding this like pent up rage to a man I've never met for three years. And I met him over Christmas 
he's a nice guy. Like, look, I don't agree with what he did. <laughs> I don't agree with what he did if I was in his shoes. And and obviously my mum, to some extent, or, well, not to some extent, to a large extent, if I was in her shoes, I would have done things very differently. But just how I was telling my dad in the conversation that we had between us that we have to let things go and whether we agree with them or not, it's not healthy to carry things around like a medallion around your neck, just weighing you down. I came to that own realisation within myself and that hating this man wasn't going to do anything for me and it certainly wasn't going to do anything for the relationship I had with my mum. There was no way that my relationship with my mum was going to improve if I kept on hating this man. Now, that's not to say that I'm going to be his best friend and we're going to go on fucking runs together and trips, just me and him and, and on the lakes. But I can at least respect him as, like, the partner of my mum, as a bare minimum. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, he, he He's on a one strike and you're out because... I don't owe him that kind of same level as forgiveness as I owe my family and all the rest of them. But it w I came to the realisation that, yeah, holding these grudges is just not healthy. And that was hard to swallow. That was a hard pill to swallow. And it was almost meeting, like, meeting the monster that I'd created in my mind. And then I met him and I was like, oh, like, he's just this placid bloke. Like, he's not, like, some sort of fucking Mr. Evil. And so I just came, yeah, so that was, like, the shift that was the shift in kind of my mentality and it was just like look I just came to the realization who knows whether him and my mum will be together for the rest of their lives or if it's going to be a short-term thing or whatever but the realization was if I really am serious about making the relationship that I have with my own mum better then that comes with accepting her life as it is now and not trying to build the relationship I have with my mum based on her life as it was 10 years ago do you know what I mean so, so yeah, it's difficult. Like I've never agreed in the step family. That just is a, is a is a social construct that I just don't agree with flat out. I mean, I've said that to Louise had a, had, she's had a step family for 10 years now. She got her family, her parents got divorced when she was like 10 or 11. And I remember telling her, I was like, look, your sister is your sister. Like, but the rest of them, they're, they're like, yeah, they they are what they are, but they're not your like, out and out family like forget it like they're just and that's just how it is and it's and it's the i don't think people like to hear it but as far as i see it, it's the truth you know if i my sister and i were in a burning building would and with his two kids would them would, would this man save me and my sister no he'd save his kids first and then if he could without killing himself he may try to come back in for me and demelza but he's not coming in for us first do you know what i mean whereas like <laughs> Yeah, so, so that's how I see it, yeah. However, I mean, yeah, I get what you mean, but I think it might be a goal of yours, or it could be a goal of yours to put yourself and your sister in a position where he can build a rapport with you guys. So then if this crazy circumstance did occur and you were in this fire, then he might look at you fairly similarly to how he looks at his kids. You know? You know what I mean? Not going to do it now when you're looking at him like, this guy is just this bloke who is now seeing my mom and yeah like it, it, it does flow both ways you know you can only have strong well most of the time you can only have a strong affection or like relationship with someone if both parties are open towards it you know to some extent i'm definitely talking out my ass here but um <laughs> just gotta be honest but like 
there there is i think most people will tell you there's that natural bond that you have with your kid when it's your kid and that can i don't think that can ever be reached when it's a step or when it's like a, even maybe adoption slightly different because you've taking care of them from day dot but when it's a step from like he hasn't known me and then all of a sudden 23 years in it's like oh here's your new son like nah like give it a rest like it is what it is like i've got my parents i've got my sister he's got his kids and that's that like don't invite me to thanksgiving do you know what i mean it's cool like when i see you i shake your hand we'll have a nice conversation but i'm not interested in like in in that part of it and and just like i told you how i'm how I've kind of replaced my extended family with my friends. I'm not now looking to to um, get a new extended family. Like, fuck that. Like, families have their own problems. I don't want... An, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not interested in having new problems. I've just, we, Our family has had enough problems for the last three years. I'm really not interested in it. And it's not even from a place of, like, malice or hatred. It's just from, a, like, a place of complete and utter honesty whereby there's no point in me trying to form this real close bond it's just like nah, like I'll, I'll be respectful when we when we like we had nice conversations like he's an, he's an intelligent guy like it is what it is but i'm not going to do you know what i mean he's never going to see me as as his son and i'm not going to call up my mom and be like oh how's dad doing like nah like do you know what i mean it's first name basis um as far as i'm concerned however sir right will, will you yeah. give me this yeah based on your um altered approach or altered perspective over the last few months will you say now that you refuse to totally rule out a possibility of you building a rapport in you know two three four years i rule out seeing him as family like i'm sure over time if they're still together we'll get somewhat closer i mean that's just natural i think unless he turns out to be a complete dickhead but i mean that's just natural but yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna seem as like my number two dad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Substitution dad, nah. And also, I think, and I think it is different when this situation happens when you're 23 years old, because like you've already got your family. Like it's different if maybe it happens when you're five, and that man is the man who took you to football practice, and he's the man who like cooked you Sunday roast, and he's the man who did this. Do you know what I mean? But like, bro, I'm living my life. So we're going to see each other, if you're lucky, once every six months. So the rapport that we're going to have is going to be a rapport purely of conversation, not of any sort of experience. So I'm way too, too old to be getting a new family now. And I'm not interested in having brothers, do you get me? Like, I'm, my sister's my sister, like, it is what it is. But man, like, I, I, can, I can imagine if I had a chat with him, he wouldn't say that he wants to be any sort of father figure to you or anything. He would just like to be interested in your life because you are the son of the woman he is seeing, you know? And if you get along and you both like Arsenal and you both like doing this and you both like doing that, he would like, he, I'm sure he'd be like, yeah, that'd be great. But I still want to let him know that, you know, he's a very important person in the most important person in my life's life. Do you know? Like, I yeah, but it's, but it's like, it's purely consequential though, isn't it? It's not like, if he split up with my mom, he'd be like, "Ah, oh, Seb, what's the crack? Like, let's go down to the bar." Like, nah. Like, I'm maybe, man, maybe. Nah. Well, if he did, I'd be like, "Yeah, see you, pal." Um, <laughs> but like, do you know what I mean, I'm only important to him as long as my mom's important to him, and that's absolutely fine, by the way. Like, that's 
there's no grudges held there like that is what it is and just like i'm only talking to him as long as my mum is with him like it's not as if the minute my, like if they split up it's not as if i'm gonna be like oh oh listen man like i heard about your mom like it's really upsetting anyway i've got um a party going on on the 25th do you want to come down like nah do you get me like it is what it is it's a it's a relationship built out of pure circumstance and so i'm up to being accepting and to being civil and to be polite and to when we have a conversation to have an interesting conversation as i'm not cold towards him but i'm not about trying to build some deep relationship because it's just not going to be there so so yes that's that um do you have any more questions or should we leave it there for now we can (laughs) we can revisit i I feel like this is a topic that we could always revisit I have a feeling that yeah, a feeling that I'll thrown in some questions on a on a random okay, basis. Okay, fair enough. Well, well, I'll look forward to those ones then. Beautiful. But listen, guys, thank you. If you've been listening all the way, thank you so much. Um, obviously, this is the first ever one that we've done. We're hoping to get better as we go on. So please bear with us. Uh, we'll be making mistakes along the way. Um, look, do I hate to be a beg, but do like subscribe all the rest of that gubbins we need it um give the five star review spread the spread the message get the podcast out to the people we need as many people as we can to listen to it if they think it's interesting if you find it interesting we have also released a second episode already that i recorded with my good friend and award-winning journalist rosie dowsing and it's about her documentary on father's mental health and we talk about the differences between men and women and how they express their feelings. So go ahead, download that and listen to that. Um, guys, we really appreciate you listening. It's It means the world to us that anyone is listening to to this, to be quite frank. So thanks a million, guys. I can't thank you guys enough, but um, we hope you'd enjoy it and that you keep on tuning in week on week. But until next time, have a good one.